Luke 4, starting in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed power, possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Silent, be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon, <laughs> having done him no harm, uh, they were amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, all those who had any and were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray this morning that you would um, teach us by your word, Father, that we would... Um, take the truths that we find today and that they would change us, that you would sanctify us and make us more um, like your son today. I pray that you would um, remove from me any, any pride or any um, agenda that I would have. Um, Father, I pray that you would be with uh, the hearers of the word this morning, that they would hear and receive and that your spirit would work and, and cause people to love you more um, because of our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this passage is, uh, I, really, I really like it. I mean, I should, I guess it's in the Bible, so I think we should like all those, I suppose. Um, but it's also pretty interesting, and I'm going to throw a disclaimer out there so that you guys can hold me accountable to this, because I feel like there's a little bit of a red herring in here. Uh, so it talks about demons, which seem really interesting, right? And so when I first started studying this passage and researching it, like I got in there and I thought, whoa, this is, this is going to be heavy. I have to teach about demons and we're going to go, you know, how's this going to go? And then uh, after a little bit of prayer and study and time, I thought, no, this passage is not about demons. This passage is about Jesus. And so we're going to focus on Jesus. Now, he certainly interacts with demons, and so we'll talk about that a little bit, but, uh, but the purpose of, of this passage and, and really the whole Bible is, is to glorify God and, uh, and that we would know more about him, and, and not that we would uh, study uh, demons and, and focus, focus our, our, the majority of our time on them. So uh, anyway, um, I want to glorify God in this passage and not glorify uh, other things, so that's just... I thought that was interesting. Um, so, uh, last week we were in Nazareth. Jesus was teaching there, and um, 
he talks about him leaving. Today we are in Capernaum, which is about 25 miles away. Um, he was teaching in the synagogue. He was on the Sabbath, and it opens up. That's kind of where it opens up. He's teaching on, uh, on the Sabbath in the synagogue, and after he gets done, it says they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And, I mean, I've probably read this passage a whole lot of times, and I just kind of, to be honest, just glaze right over it, because it's like, well, yeah, that, I mean, he's Jesus, so he probably is pretty good at teaching about the Bible. Um, but I think we shouldn't do that. We should, I think we should sit in that for just a little bit and like really think on uh, why that is and, and what that looks like and not view this as a transition to talk about the other stuff in the passage. Um, so just think about this with me for a second. Uh, the Bible was written by God, right, with the purpose of explaining to people who he is and what he's like and how to know him and how to be in relationship with him, right? So it's, it's a book that God wrote uh, through people to explain about himself, right? And so we have Jesus, who is God, right? Jesus is the Word made flesh. So God wrote a bunch of stuff about himself in a book to tell us about him, but also he sent himself as a person to teach us about him. And now this person who is God is holding the book about God and is talking about himself through the book. Like, that's amazing. There, like, I was trying to think of analogies and different things like that, but uh, I can't imagine anything more natural than hearing Jesus talk about the words that he wrote about himself. Like, like that would have just been like, that's like new creation, right? People were with God knowing more about him. Like, that is, that is astonishing, is a big-time understatement uh, for what happened when Jesus uh, preached the word, I imagine. So that, I, I have goosebumps thinking about that, and I just, I, that's pretty amazing that, that one, that, that God did that, that he became a man and came down to teach uh, us about himself and to get to know us and to make a way for us to know him. Um, but I just, I would encourage you in the week, just meditate a little bit on that. Think about what it would have been like to sit, to sit before Jesus and have him teach about himself, have him teach about the Old Testament. That would have been uh, amazing, I think. But after he, after he teaches and after they're astonished, pretty quickly we jump into uh, verse 33 where it says, in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he, he cried out. So it doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. We don't know really anything about this man. We don't really know anything about this, this specific demon. Uh, all we know is that he was there. Seems like he was there when Jesus was doing the teaching. Um, and, uh, and he was like with the people of God. So he probably, I think this passage reads like he was there. He had listened to Jesus preach and then, and then this thing happens. Uh, and so the first thing I want to look at is uh, this demon is not like just like some crazy person that we, we see that in scripture sometimes who's like out you know living in tombs and stuff he is he was there when the teaching was happening like kind of, kind of seems like maybe he was just like blended in amongst everybody else and this demon was uh, was there and, and afflicted him uh, and so I think one thing to kind of think about is, like, 
demons, uh, this demon is real. Like this book we believe is true. And it talks about this demon being amongst people when teaching is happening. And so uh, that's, that's interesting. Like maybe they, did, they probably didn't know that this man was, uh, was afflicted or oppressed by a demon prior to that. The other people around didn't. Uh, and then also immediately we understand there's a, a mutual understanding between this demon and Jesus uh, of hostility. Like there's no mincing of words about, uh, about it. The very first thing the demon says, he says, ha, which apparently in another translation, which I don't, I don't know Greek, so, but apparently in another translation, ha, can also be uh, leave us alone. So he's saying like, like leave me alone. And then, like, ask, like, are you here to destroy me? And, and so the demon recognizes Jesus as an enemy and just, like, says it right away. And Jesus, like, rebukes him right away, first thing. So they are, they're right away. They're, they are understanding they are enemies of each other. Um, there's also a mutual understanding of authority. Uh, the demon says very plainly, like, Jesus is the Holy One of God, um, also, I think it's worth noting that the things the demon does not say, uh, he doesn't, like, attack Jesus or, like, say, like, we're going to battle this out or, uh, or anything like that. He just openly uh, asks what Jesus is going to do and basically acknowledges his defeat. Like, I know who you are. Like, how done am I here? Like, are you, are you going to kill me? Are you going to cast me? I don't know what's going to happen to me next, but I know that I don't really have a say in it. Um, and, and Jesus, like, says, be silent, and the demon doesn't argue. He just is silent. Jesus says, come out, and the demon doesn't argue. He just does what he's told. Like, there is a mutual understanding of authority. Jesus knows I have authority over this spirit. The spirit knows he has authority over me. There's no, there's no argument or uh, negotiation there. Um, Jesus uh, rebukes the demon. He silences it. He casts it out. Um, doesn't harm the man. People were amazed, uh, again, at his power and authority. Um, and, uh, and so we see the same kind of response. Like, he teaches, they're amazed. And then he does something, they're amazed. And uh, an interesting thing to point out, and there's two different little things here, and it's, it's kind of subtle. So Jesus silences the demon when he says, I know who you are, you're the Holy One of God. But then when the people acknowledge him, like, it says, like, they're telling everybody. Right? There's reports going out everywhere, in every place, about what Jesus is doing. So why does he silence the demon, but let the people talk? And we see in other places in Scripture, he tells people to be quiet too. But uh, that was something that kind of uh, piqued my interest a little bit. And I was a little bit uh, confused at first. And I, I don't I mean, the Bible does not, does not specifically say why, why he does one and not the other. But um, a little bit later in the passage, which we'll, we'll get to this in talk about it more, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip ahead just a tiny bit. Um, later on, he casts out demons, and they say a very similar thing, and uh, he says he silences them too, and he doesn't allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ, which sometimes reasons don't explain things very well. Like Jesus, like, he's like, be quiet, 
And it says, it says why? He's silencing them because they knew he was the Christ. But if they knew he's the Christ, why should they not say something? And so uh, uh, I was praying and thinking about it, and two, two main resources kind of helped me two main resources outside of the Bible. This is the main resource for the sermon. But uh, a book, which this book is really good, uh, Spiritual Warfare by Carl Payne. And it's a really like conservative guy, and he talks about uh, supernatural things uh, in a very like plain, God-honoring way. And then also uh, fiction, uh, Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And surprisingly, those two things present uh, demons in a really, really similar way, but uh, screw tape letters. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's by C.S. Lewis, and it is uh, it's fiction, but it's written from the perspective of uh, a demon uh, and his correspondence with his uncle, who's another demon. And they're talking about like tempting humans, and uh, like uh, just gives a, a good perspective on on kind of the enemy in that. And there's a quote that I have uh, that'll be up there, and it says. Yeah. Uh, so this is from one demon to another in a work of fiction, but I promise I'll explain my thought thinking on this. It says, on the other hand, we do want and want very much to make them treat Christianity as a means, uh, preferably, of course, as a means to their own advancement, but failing at that as a means to anything, even to social justice. The thing to do is to get a man at first to value social justice as a thing which the enemy, which when they say the enemy, they're talking about God in that because they're demons, remember, uh, which the enemy demands, and then work him on the stage at which he values Christianity because it may produce social justice. For the enemy will not be used as a convenience. Uh, and so I was uh, listening back through screw tape letters uh, kind of after I had written some of this, and I thought, that makes sense. Like, demons are liars, right? They are, uh, like, Satan is the father of lies, and so they will take a truth and use it and twist it to make people uh, think wrongly about a true thing or think uh, improportionately about, uh, about a true thing in the wrong way. And so uh, my thinking on this, and I think we see this backed up in a lot of other places and, and how they treat Jesus, they wanted... These Jewish people, they wanted to lift Jesus up and make him their like, immediate political ruler to overthrow the Romans. And so uh, he, I, I think, uh, the demons know who Jesus is, but Jesus knows the people at, at a moment's notice are going to take that the wrong way, and they're going to they're gonna lift him up in a way that he doesn't, is not his time to be lifted up as the, uh, the political like, ruler who's going to overthrow the Romans. And so... Um, this is just a way that C.S. Lewis talks about how uh, the, the enemy can use good things and make us try and twist them to our own gain. Like the Jewish people, uh, they wanted to be freed from Roman oppression because the Romans uh, kept them from uh, following the Lord the way they wanted to. And uh, the Romans oppressed them, and uh, they wanted to be the free people of God and, and honor him in uh, the way that God wanted, but, but they also wanted their own advancement and they wanted to use the Messiah as a way of making much of themselves. And so uh, that's, that's an idea. Again, that's just, that's just uh, I, think, I think that makes sense. And you can kind of get a little bit of an understanding about kind of how, how a demon might twist that kind of thing.
so after Jesus casts this demon out, he moves on, and he moves to um, Peter's, Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, or Simon Peter's, yeah, house. And his mother-in-law's there. She is sick. And the, the people, they, they appeal to Jesus on her behalf. And again, I think that's something I oftentimes don't give enough credit to. And I think at times we get the idea that praying for physical things is like unspiritual. Like we, we want to pray for the heart issues. We want to do that thing. And, uh, and sometimes I feel like, like I, I can tend that way. Like, well, we... We don't, need to, we don't need to focus on just praying for physical things. We want to pray for, for spiritual things, for heart issues. And, uh, but Jesus doesn't, doesn't rebuke them. He, he, he heals this woman. He, he accepts that they're, they're coming to him for that, and they, they do that. And so I think that kind of affirms that idea that we, we should come to Jesus with those things and acknowledge that he is uh, sovereign over the physical and the natural things of this world. He can, he can heal people. He does, and he can be glorified in that. Um, he has authority over sickness and physical affliction. Uh, we see how she responds. So she arose immediately and she starts to serve. Um, the removal of her physical ailment allowed her to serve the Lord in a specific moment in a specific way, right? So she has a new uh, ability. She, she was, wasn't able to serve because she was sick and Jesus, Jesus healed her. He does something to her and she uses that to glorify him, to serve him. I mean, I think there's a few things that are important to look at that. So he equipped her for that act of obedience, but she was not being disobedient while she was afflicted. When she was sick, she was not able to do those things, and so he didn't expect those things of her. And I think uh, people in people who are sick and ill, um, you can, I think, get in your own head or feel... Uh, feel bad that you can't serve in ways that other people can, okay? And, uh, or, like, we could look at other people and say, like, well, I'm doing more than they are um, without realizing some of the things that maybe hold them down. And that could be a lot of different things. That could be pain, that could be um, age, that could be um, our stage in life, you know? Like, people with five kids don't have as much free time as people with no kids, you know? Um, People who are in their 20s are, have more energy than people who are in their 70s. People who, uh, and so there's, we're all in different stages of life. And so don't think because your situation is different, whether that be an affliction or a life stage, that you are less than um, someone else. Like Jesus does something for this woman and she uses what she's uh, been given uh, to serve him. And I think also this, this can work in the other direction sometimes, just practically like, uh, sometimes being afflicted with one thing or another makes us more equipped for certain acts of ministry. Like um, the main one that, that came to my mind, like uh, prior to my, my mother passing away about two years ago, like I had not really ever experienced much loss in my life or like pain or grief or anything like that. And so like I had no lens for for compassion for that. Like, I could kind of think, like, man, that would be really hard, but, like, I couldn't really minister well to people who had had that kind of grief because I had never had anything like that, ever. And so sometimes affliction, like, God is sovereign over that thing, and so sometimes being, being afflicted with, with 
injury or pain or loss or whatever. Like that can equip us for ministry, which is a different way of thinking about it, but it is, it is true. Uh, so after he heals her, then waves of people start coming in. It says, all who were sick or with various diseases were brought to him. So they, this is like a time Jesus is, I just picture him, he's sitting down and they just have people just, they're coming in and he's just healing people. He's healing people, he's healing people. Um, and, and he heals every one of them. It says he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. So anybody who was brought to him with any kind of affliction, he is healing all of them. And then it says... So remember, they're bringing sick people. Sick people are coming to him. He's healing all of them. And it says, uh, he healed every one of them. And demons also came out of many of them, crying, you are the son of God. And he rebuked them and told them not to speak because they knew he was the Christ. So we see a little bit of overlap here between physical sickness, ailments, people who are, who are ill and supernatural stuff. Okay, and again, I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says, so I'm just (laughs) teaching what's in the passage. Okay, so people are sick. They're coming to Jesus for healing. He heals them. He heals all of them, and from many of them, he also is casting out demons. So it, and I think we are, we are a people, as humans, who are quick to jump to an extreme, and we, we do this all the time, and sometimes it's uh, genera- generationally. So, like for example, uh, uh, program. You know, like I grew up in a church with tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of programs, and now I go to a church with almost with almost no programs, right? So, like like in my life, I have totally switched gears. Um, sometimes it's just like a, a wave or whatever, and, and it's also in our in our own personal lives. But um, we tend to go one way or the other. So some people basically we'll say like, like Satan is in charge of every evil that has ever taken place, all sickness and everything, like it's, it's Satan and give him, I think, way too much credit. Um, and other people just kind of like, yeah, Satan's in the Bible, uh, but they don't ever think about what he does or what demons do or how they relate or what we should think about them or what we should do about them. It's just like, yeah, I mean, Satan tempted Adam and Eve, but Jesus is going to throw him into the pit at the end, and so who knows what's in the middle. Uh, but the Bible has things to say, right? And so in this passage, what we see is there are sick people being healed, and part of that healing is Jesus is casting demons out from not all, but many of, of them who are sick. Um, and so, I, I, again, I don't want to jump too far into this, but uh, the, there are three kind of main enemies of the soul that, that we see in the Bible. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and all three of those are real, and if you don't uh, kind of know what those are in, in a synopsis, the, the world is things outside of you. So like brokenness in the world, things that are wrong with the world outside of myself, right? Outside of me. That's, that's the world. So everything wrong with the world, that's the world. Um, and it tempts us to sin. So things out there uh, tempt us to sin. Uh, there's the flesh, which is 
things that are wrong with my heart, brokenness within my own heart, uh, things that I want that I shouldn't, things that I strive for that I shouldn't, wrong ideas about God, that is, that is flesh. And then the devil is, is the devil, supernatural, like enemy of God. And so those are three things that are sometimes called the enemy, enemies of the soul. But um, what we see in this is a little bit of like overlap. Like the world is broken and we have sickness and affliction and uh, and also, like, we have a real enemy. The Bible is teaching in this passage that we have a real, actual enemy who actually works against people, right? Uh, the people of God and, uh, like, Christians and non-Christians alike. Like, he is actively seeking to lie and steal and kill and destroy uh, us, and so uh, what, I think we teach a lot at BC about like the brokenness and sin in the world and, and brokenness and sin in our own hearts. But like we have an enemy who is not passive, who is actively trying to lie and deceive and afflict humanity. Uh, and I don't think we... I don't think we think about it as much as, uh, as we could or uh, rightly, but I think, uh, I mean, the, the, in media, you know, the, the number one thing, if you think of, like, a demon, you're probably thinking, like, the exorcist, right? And someone's head spinning around and shooting vomit everywhere and uh, yelling obscenities. And uh, that, could, that could happen, I suppose, but... Uh, I don't think that that's the majority of where, where we would see that. I think uh, the enemy is much, much more subtle than that in our, in our day and age, at least. And again, if you, if you like to read screw tape letters, it's pretty short. And it's not, I mean, it's not the Bible, but it's really good fiction that kind of can give you a perspective of how uh, an enemy might approach and attack a Christian. And so that's, it's a really good kind of fun, but packs a punch kind of read. So that, that is something I would say, if you haven't thought much about uh, demons and affliction and stuff, it's a good place to start. Just kind of give you an idea of of that kind of thing. But some, some things that they might say, and remember, like, uh, Satan doesn't have the power to create. He can't, he can't make things. He can't make uh, anything. But he can, he can twist and distort and lie. And so some, some lies that I think are, are real um, in the lives of, of people and uh, Christians, I think, in particular, um, are things like, um, you're, you won't ever be good enough. Like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't believe that uh, that passage in the Bible, because you, you, aren't, you aren't good enough for that to apply to you. Like, you should, you, I know the Bible says that if you trust in God, you're, you'll be forgiven, but, but that's, you're, you're worse than that. Um, it, it might be subtle things like your, your spouse, your spouse doesn't love you. Like, it's, it's a ruse. You aren't, you aren't a good parent. That prayer, that prayer was not good enough. Like, try, try harder. Like, do better. Um, God won't forgive you. Um, you're worthless. Give up. Um, and like lies that, that keep bouncing around in your head, uh, 
Like, test those things against, against God's word. Okay, pray over those things. Uh, the, the enemy will whisper anything he can to keep you from looking to Jesus and proclaiming the victory that Christ has uh, over the enemy to, to other people or to yourself. So anything to keep you from, from looking to Christ and trusting in Christ, like uh, the enemy will lie and, and tell you those things. Uh, in just a little bit, Matt's going to come up and uh, introduce the Lord's Supper. Uh, but I want to... I wanna, come back around on this and, and really reorient our focus again. Uh, because while, while the passage addressed demons and talked about this, that's not what, that's not what this passage is about. And uh, this passage is mostly about Jesus and what he is doing and what he has done uh, and his authority over the things we see in this passage. This, the sickness, the... Uh, Affliction and, and the enemy. And so there's a, there's a quote from that other book that I held up. Um, I think it should be up there in just a second. So uh, we need to remember, like, the passage is mostly about Jesus and also um, this right here, yeah. Um, we must remember when discussing spiritual warfare that we are on the side that has ultimately won the war, not the side that lost. One result of victory in Christ Jesus over Satan and his demons is that Christians should live life as victors not victims. Uh, to summarize, the Bible teaches that demons are real and actually work to afflict and harm people. Uh, but Jesus is king. Jesus commands the demons and they, they, they listen. Jesus is not like slightly tougher or stronger and then like ultimately he's going to like outlast them or, or, or conquer them a little bit. Um, Jesus is not like maybe probably going to narrowly edge out Satan and be victorious at the end. Like Jesus is king. He commands the demon and it obeys. Uh, just like he commanded the sickness in Peter's mother-in-law, just like he commands the winds and the waves, and they obey, just like he commanded and called everything into existence in the beginning. Like, Jesus says things, and they happen. Uh, his authority over affliction and the supernatural that we see in this passage is amazing, miraculous. Uh, but that's just, like, the, the tip of the iceberg. If we just look at, like, oh, Jesus did, in that passage, he did a few cool things. Um, he left and he said, and how the passage kind of rounds out those last uh, three verses, he said he, he needed to go preach the kingdom of God to other places. Um, and the good news of the kingdom that he's going to preach is that he, he was here, like God himself was here. And that all those things that we see in this passage, the, the sin and the sickness and the affliction and the demons... He has come to do battle against. Like, God has not left people to fend for themselves. God, uh, he came to, to undo all that sickness. He came to uh, <clears throat> root out sin and pride in our lives. He came to, like, destroy the enemy, uh, to crush his head, uh, and all that stuff. Like, Jesus just being there... Um, is the good news of the kingdom, in part. Like he came and broke through, and he's, he's beginning to dismantle everything uh, that is wrong with the world, and, and he's doing it in 
uh, God is doing it through the person of Christ. So I'm going to pray, and then Matt, Matt will come up and introduce the Lord's Supper.